Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. I would like for us to continue in our Beauty of Grace series today by looking at Lesson 71, The Clothing of Grace. After understanding the sweet fellowship that grace affords us in communion with the living God, who loves us and has saved us, and the response that we have in return of carefulness in this communion with our Lord because we treasure and cherish his goodness to us and this loving relationship. And then having understood more about the church that we now are joined into, let us now examine the clothing of grace. In this relationship, God has not left us alone or to wander with no help or no aids through this troublesome life of hardship, woe, and sorrows. So let's consider several blessings that his grace provides for us on this journey. In Hebrews chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 10 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call their brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed... He does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So God does not leave us alone. He gives aid to his children. According to John 1, those who receive Jesus by faith are the seed of Abraham and the children of God. He doesn't leave us in the lurch without direction and aid. He has given to us the Holy Spirit, and he said that the Holy Spirit would lead and direct us. He would lead us in, into all truth. And he would be our comforter. He would be our guide. The Lord provides our aid. And we know of it through his word. This word for aid is talking about to take hold of or seize in order to help. To attach or ally oneself to. To rescue one from peril or give them help and aid. He knows that life is difficult and full of sorrow and hardship. Nowhere in scripture is this hidden from us. Direct instructions are spoken throughout, as a matter of fact. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Prophets, Torah even, 
even in Jesus' own words in the Gospels and later in the epistles it's spoken of. Some of Jesus' own words, he said this, in the world you will have tribulations. He said this, they will hate you as they hated me. He spoke of these types of things. The epistles and Acts and even through Revelation verify this as well. We even have types and shadows all through the scriptures of those who were hated for the Lord's sake. David, Jeremiah, Paul, Peter, the apostles, Jesus himself, the suffering servant, according to Isaiah 53. But Jesus also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He overcame and provides aid to help us navigate through this and overcome. He is the captain of our salvation, as Hebrews 2 calls him. He steers the ship. One of the ways he gives us aid is through the clothing he provides through his grace. So I want us to talk about this a little bit today. This is not exhaustive, but I do want to mention a few things the word tells us about the clothing he has provided for us. First of all, let's remember who the church is. The church is the body of Christ. Paul talks about that. The church is also called the bride of Christ. But also the church is a priesthood, according to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, for one place. We are a priesthood, a royal, holy priesthood. In the scriptures, there were three primary priesthoods. There was the priesthood of Melchizedek, where we see him first coming in Genesis chapter 14, and we have a glimpse of his priesthood further defined for us in Hebrews chapter 7 and so forth. There was the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood. And then there is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. In Psalm chapter 110, the word says this, beginning in verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the view of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this is the Lord God the Father speaking to the Lord his Son. And David's Lord, actually, because he says he spoke this to my Lord. And David is writing this. And so he tells us that Jesus is a priest forever after the order or design or arrangement of Melchizedek. Now we are priests under him, serving under him, with him, but he is the great high priest. The book of Hebrews explains much more about Christ's priesthood and his high priestly service. I have a series on the book of Hebrews called The Bridge to Excellence, if you'd like to look that up. But the Bible tells us clearly that Jesus is our great high priest. For instance, it says so in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2, 17, and Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Christians and the church serve as priests underneath the Lord. The priest's job in the Old Testament was shown this in both of the priesthoods, Melchizedek and the Aaronic priesthood, 
And now we see it in the priesthood of Jesus to minister to God on behalf of the people and to minister to the people on behalf of God. It's not like the modern day priests that might be called priests or whatever. But there's an Old Testament type and shadow. The pattern comes for us, for us to understand much more about it, through Melchizedek and through Aaron, who was the high priest under the Levitical priesthood. The Levites, the sons of Aaron, did the work of the temple service. They had a specified wardrobe to wear when they did this service for the Lord. The Old Testament wardrobe for the priest consisted of four holy garments, they're called. They were all of pure linen. There was a turban, a tunic, a trouser, a pair of trousers, and a belt or sash or a tie that would go around the waist. The high priest alone had four additional special garments. They were called the golden garments. I have, for instance, a holy crown message in my Passover Passion Holy Week series that talks a little bit about one of those. I have also taught live on the garments of glory. Perhaps I can incorporate that into this year's messages, Lord willing. But in the time of Jesus, the Aaronic priesthood was still in existence. However, it had been corrupted by Rome. So the high priest that Rome had appointed was Annas and Caiaphas in those days of Jesus. But the actual Levitical priest, according to the Aaronic lineage, was John the Baptist, whose father was Zacharias, a priest serving in the temple, who was of the lineage of Aaron, direct descendants, therefore qualifying him to be priest. The scriptures tell us that the Aaronic priesthood was in existence at the time of Jesus still. It had been corrupted, but there was still the remnant of that. However, there was a transfer of priesthood needed to occur. It had to occur because Jesus was to be priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 through 19. It tells us more about this. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed. Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from whom no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope 
through which we draw near to God. So here we're reading more about what the author of Hebrews is teaching us about this transfer of priesthood and why it was needed to be done. Now, when did that happen? And I want to point this out in this passage that we just read. Verse 12 says this, for the priesthood being changed. In other words, by the time that the author of Hebrews writes this letter, the priesthood has been changed from the Aaronic priesthood that was in existence at the time, in God's eyes anyway, to the priesthood of Jesus, priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, was Caiaphas still in operation as the high priest there? Yes, he was. Even into the book of Acts, we see that. So it wasn't physically changed in the sense of through the Roman government who had control over those matters at that time or through the Jewish leadership in the temple. But God had seen to the transfer in his own way and in his own time before the author of Hebrews writes his book. So when did that happen and how did it happen? I've got another series that you may want to look up. I've got actually two different ones. You can look up one is entitled The Baptism of Jesus, and the other one is entitled Wilderness Man at the Jordan, because it was at the baptism of Jesus when that priesthood was changed. There was a transfer of priesthood at Jesus' baptism. John was the official Levitical priest who was the descendant of Aaron, and he was baptizing down by the Jordan River. And that's why at 30 years old, which is the age that a priest could serve, Jesus goes to John to be baptized by him. Jesus did not need baptism for repentance. This was all about the transfer of priesthood. There are a few other things that were accomplished by the baptism of Jesus. One, for instance, is it is a pattern for Christian baptism taken from the example of the mikvah ritual baths that they would take in the Old Testament and in the Jewish tradition. So the baptism of Jesus did provide that picture and that correlation with what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. There were also a couple of other things. It was consecration as the groom and the bride both would undergo these baptisms, these water immersions. So that's a part of it. And I'll, I cover most all of that in the baptism of Jesus. But one major thing that happened here was that transfer of priesthood. So by the time the author of Hebrews writes his epistle, that transfer has already occurred. And it occurred at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was inaugurated and established as our great high priest, confirmed and affirmed by God himself and by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Now with the church, we have an operation of the royal priesthood in existence as believers are operating as priests under the Lord. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, 
as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. We talked about that in the last episode, the church, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So here Peter verifies that we are a royal priesthood. We are a priesthood of believers. Then when we come to Revelation, let's look in two places in Revelation. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. John is writing here the introductory chapter and telling us about who he sees and what he sees in heaven. And he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Kings and priests could also be translated as a kingdom of priests, royal priests, royal priesthood. Then in Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, it says this, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So here again, John the apostle verifies exactly what Peter just said as well, that we are a royal priesthood. The 24 elders represent the royal priesthood, just like the 24 courses that David established in First Chronicles chapter 24 represent the entire priesthood of the Aaronic order. And so we have the correlation here. And I've covered that in much more detail in my Revelation series and in other places. So we, as priests of the Lord, also have been given holy garments of the priesthood in a spiritual sense. Not in the physical sense. We don't have to dress up in some special robe and wear that every day or look in a particular manner in the physical sense. We don't have certain tangible clothing that every Christian must wear. But in a spiritual sense, there are holy garments for the priesthood. Let's see what scripture has to tell us about these priestly clothing items. First of all, let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 6. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, this is where Solomon is delivering 
his prayers and blessings at the dedication of the temple. Now in verse 40, he's still praying and he says this, Now my God, I pray, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. So here, Solomon is talking, even at the dedication of the temple, about clothing being of salvation and the priest rejoicing, the saints and the priest rejoicing in God's goodness. Then in Psalm 132, in one of the Psalms of Ascent, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Africa. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. So here in this Song of Ascent, written as a remembrance of the promise and the mercies of God and as a prayer to God, we find again the same reference that Solomon had given. The priests were to be clothed with righteousness. It's interesting that the linen wardrobe that the priest of the Aaronic priesthood would wear, according to Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, speaks of those linen clothes being representative of righteousness. White linen, meaning purity, simplicity, humility, nothing flashy or fancy, cleanness and sincerity, a life of integrity, a life of purity, a life truly seeking to honor the Lord and that we be filled with joy, rejoicing in and with the Lord and his goodness and grace being filled with that clothing. Another element of our clothing provided by the Lord through grace is armor. Now, why would it be armor? Because as Christians, we have an enemy, an adversary who hates us. We need to understand that as well as Christians. It's real. The Bible tells us about this. As a matter of fact, Peter verifies it in 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to read verse 6 through 8. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
So Peter makes it very clear here. We have an enemy. He's depicted in the New Testament in different ways. Right here, he is depicted as a roaring lion seeking to devour. That word is talking about to destroy you to the point that he would slurp up every last drop of your blood. It's meaning that he hates you. He wants to devour you. And this situation, dealing with him, requires vigilance. Peter says it, be sober, be vigilant on our part. We are not left alone and helpless. God has already provided beforehand, so we can resist him. Matter of fact, God provided a full suit of armor. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 6, a full suit. We might call this the camo of grace, a full outfit, our armor. We might consider it like a camouflage outfit that soldiers would wear. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, this is typified from the Roman panoply that the soldiers would wear in that day. Beginning in verse 10, let's read in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your weights with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So God has provided a full suit of armor for us. Here we just read there are seven total pieces, including what some call the lance of prayer at the end. God has a victorious desire for us. And he stated so, Paul stated so here in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are also given here in verse 11 the purpose for this armor of God. And God has given us a whole suit. Put on the whole armor of God. Purpose, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickeries of the devil. In verse 12, he explains the need, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battles are not against other people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then, beginning in verse 13 through 18, he goes through the seven pieces that God has provided a full suit. Notice it covers the entire body. And in addition to that, Oh, beloved friend, let's see what Isaiah tells us about so that we understand the victory God wants us to have. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 12, it says this, 
For you shall not go out with haste nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So in other words, in addition to a full suit of armor that covers our entire body, spiritually speaking, God has also provided that he is our rear guard. He's got our back. In the course of our troublesome life's journey here on earth, God has provided through grace for both our good times, serving him, enjoying him, living right before him, drawing others to him through our righteousness, and our times of battle, the victorious armor that he has provided for us so that we can stand against our enemy and be victorious in life. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be super keen and peachy keen and all of that. No, we still have troubles in life. We still have things to overcome, and we do have battles. But God has promised to grant us the victory and to help us and give us the aid that we need. And he's provided through his grace for us to be able to receive that in a spiritual sense, even because of the very clothing of grace that he has provided. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes as we begin to draw to a close in the Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.